This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. gentlemen good morning good morning welcome to james and the giant preacher and the giant preacher is tardy <laughs> he overslept He'll, he overslept he he, he pre- I feel like you get to do that at an older age yeah and he yeah, preached he's tired he preached over close to shreveport i think yesterday so he's probably he's probably worn out from the, the this long distance traveling mm-hmm. But anyway, he's on his way here. He will join us in progress. And welcome to S. Jim and Glenn are on. And, and um, the, uh, the James and Giant Preacher group text has been quite active in the last week. And so as busy as I was at work, I did try to read them. But I'm not exactly sure what the topic is today. So I'm going to let Jim. It's, it's not about changelings, is it? <laughs> What's the deal with the changelings? Uh, I, I see that. I, I'm going to tell you, you know how, how Steve says there's Hall of Fame things? It, it's it's Hall of Fame. Uh, we were talking about Paul McCartney being a changeling now. It was a podcast. It was a, you know, how we do on Fridays, anything real on Fridays. Well, it turns out that yeah. Glenn knows quite a bit about this idea of changelings. And, <laughs> and well, I was going to say, the mythology around the say, yeah, I know a little bit about it. So, I, by the way, what are you drinking this morning, Glenn? Well, this morning, James, I'm dry, drinking delicious PJ's coffee French roast. So I know both of you are jealous. Where'd you get that? <laughs> Where were you able to get that? Well, I tell you, I, I drive to the hot PJ's in hot Louisiana and about once a week and build up my supply of uh, K-cups and fresh roasted beans. Uh, I generally don't go with the ground coffee, although they do have delicious ground coffee, or they'll grind the beans fresh right there for you. So there you go. All I know is that Charlotte drinks it in the morning. That stuff smells good. Okay. Well, anyway, so we had this podcast where Sarah was claiming that that there was that he was a changeling now. So I was wanting to introduce just this that that Glenn. At the end, we always do a, a little plug for PJ's Coffee. I was trying to set Glenn up and said, how can we get Paul McCartney back? And he, he starts to explain that we're going to need some babies. He took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Changelings is forever part of the lore of the, of the James Perspective podcast. So it, well, that's, that's, that's great. I, I wonder if we can intermingle that with today's topic. That'll I don't be, think so. Uh, <laughs> I would say something. The changelings, they are harsh negotiators. Ah, okay. Right. Right. Yeah, we'll stay away from <laughs> that. Say, don't enter an agreement with the say. You can get trouble. Yes, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I've, I'm having subpar coffee today. It's just not PJ's. And so no. this podcast isn't going to be nearly as good. Um, the best, yeah, and so if you want, if you like the smell of it, and I, I'm just telling you that French roast has got the best aroma that I've ever smelt in a coffee. That's not, it's not a joke. I mean, with Charlotte, with Charlotte he said I heat it up for most of the time, I make it for the mornings, 
And I, I go, my goodness, that stuff smells good. So anyway, at least it, even for a non-coffee drinker, it's nice to have. That's not what we're here about today. Now, I want to tell you, I got a little bit of bone to pick with Jim, is that he told me to to figure out what Gibbon thought about the early church. So I've been studying this stuff, and he's moved on. So now he's not. Wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> we can always talk about the early church. <laughs> You're the one who keeps bringing up the, hey, what's the topic? You know, and so, yeah, if you want to talk about the early church, I'm always game. That's one of my favorite subjects. By the way, he agrees with you on Marcion. It's Martian, by the way. Martian, like Martian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Martian. Martian. Yeah, Martian. yeah. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. Just, we got to be careful. Well, we, it's not too much like Martian, so you don't want to conflate it. So, yeah. but, but we did do it. Martian, it sounds better. Our disclaimer did well. I mean, we, we still had the discussion right, but he was definitely a dualist. And um, he was definitely not that instrumental in, in – in, in any, you know, in other words, it was a small faction, and he moved around. He was a moving target, and he fiddled around. So we got this part right. He fiddled around with Zoroastrianism, according to Gibbon. So, so we didn't. We weren't as far off as you as you said. I think we got some of our dates wrong. Is the main thing. We uh, we we connected it with uh, Arianism. I think I did so, that. I think I did that. I was well, confusing. I, I went along with it, though. Yeah. yeah I was so. confused. All right. So here, here's, the, here's where I was. This is the thing that, that Catholic teachings have finally made me see, is that there is a huge difference to what went on in that first century, zero to 100, and then what went on once Christianity became uh, legal in Rome. I was conflating those. That, mm-hmm. that was my problem. I'm not anymore. I won't ever do that again. I get it. Yeah. I yeah. and and that's something I definitely want to uh, study more is uh, like the rise of early Christianity that 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 first century that we see like the extant writings uh, from a lot of people's perspective and from mine are very much consistently orthodox in, in what they're preaching as far as whenever I say orthodox what the later church claimed is the the central tenets of Christianity the only writings that you see are hinged on those central tenets. You don't really see a variety of Christianities. Only later, and I'm, I'm wondering if it's because of Christianity's rising pro- popularity, do you start seeing more popular offshoots of Christianity that still nonetheless didn't gain near as much tra- attraction as, Christ- as Orthodox Christianity, such as Gnosticism? And so we can talk about that the more that I study it, but that's one of the things that's circulating in my head that the more popular something gets, the, the more variations of that object you're going to have. Well, let me ask you something. I want to take something that's absolutely slapstick and ask you about it. Uh, in in Life of Brian, Christianity is being portrayed uh, often in a gra- back. You know, Jesus is there, but there's a, they're confusing Brian for Christ, You know, as you know. Mm-hmm. And immediately there's offshoots of the gourd and the sandal the shoe mm-hmm. it, you're saying that that didn't happen right but you're saying that there was no significant splits that early that life of brian got it wrong we cannot depend on that for our or our, our theology right well i <laughs> yeah well, well first thing i would say is that i agree with you that we should not depend on life of brian for our theology okay and the second thing that i would say is that there were disagreements in the first century, but none that created a rupture in the church. Okay. I think that there are some scholars who overemphasize, let's say, Paul's and Peter's dispute, but that didn't create any sort of rupture or any sort of 
uh, uh, division that created two forms of Christianity. Uh, these were divisions that were eventually repaired that are recorded in uh, the New Testament literature. And so I don't think that there were any there were any disagreements that created two Christianities in the first century. Well, that, that's interesting because all this time I thought that I seriously thought that even though it was comedy, that they that they were right, that there were splits almost from the beginning. But I, I, again, I think that it, I was, it was interesting to me because I did not pick up that Martian was not, I thought it was a big movement, but it was not even given said, no, it was, it was, a, it was, they were outliers. Is that when that was what you were trying to say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You, so, so Martian was probably, if you're, if you're going to compare Christianity with Gnosticism and Martian, the Martians movement was the least effective movement. Gnosticism was the second most effective movement. And then Christianity was the mainstream. It was the movement that everybody, Orthodox Christianity was the movement that everybody accepted. Yeah. Pretty uh, much everybody accepted. He he agrees with that. And he he also says that the Gnostics were all over the place, that you couldn't, they couldn't. Yeah. Yes. So their writings are very much uh, disorganized. the, The word that I'm looking for is disunity. There's not really any sort of unifying structure in them. They're all sort of disagreeing. And even in their writings, they discuss themselves as the few among many. Like they have this special knowledge that the rest of the population doesn't have. And so they even take pride in how few of the people they have in their religion. You know, Chris is here and he'll be on in just a second. The, um, so and we'll finish this part of the conversation up. But I, I will say this. That I believe after reading this closer, I'm I'm amazed that Gibbon got it as right as he did. And I think that that, that the guy that was, I gave you his name, I uh, sent you his name. Um, I think that he was kind of amazed as well that he did miss. And that, but he, I don't think he, I thought, to be honest with you, when I read it the first five times, this is about the sixth time I've read this. First times I've read that, I, I thought that it was because... Gibbon was a um, deist that that he um, was cutting down an act of Christianity, of uh, active God, but he really wasn't. I think he was trying to write history, and he just missed mm-hmm. on some things. And and but why are they so critical of him? Well, it's not Christians who are critical of him. It's um, historians. Now, I'm not necessarily sure what the reason is. I will say this: whenever you try writing. That mega of a history is miss. going to have things wrong. I got you. You know, that's funny. Like, when, when Gibbon wrote his volumes after volumes, he said, yes, I would have some things wrong. So it's time for you guys to uh, welcome Chris here. Say hello. Hello. How's everybody doing? What's going on, Chris? <laughs> same old, same old. I do not ever want you to complain about people showing up late for your sermon. <laughs> better late than never huh? well it's better late than to get up in the middle and leave uh oh hey, he's looking right down <laughs> uh, you know what Dallas chastised us one time and I have stayed ever since really I have <laughs> he, I will tell you this about your son he does not mind chastising bad behavior hmm. for a young guy Yeah, I'm pretty amazed at that he, he he admonished the girls from wearing skimpy clothing. They quit. I'm gonna tell you what they're not dressed like Pentecost, but they're covered. There's nobody there naked anymore. 
Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So just letting you know where's that. This church? Um, <laughs> what Glenn say? I say, where's this church? And my one go anyway. No, but I will say that. If he did, he admonished us. It's, you know, look, people are accepting Christ, and there's some people walking out. That's just not a good look. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not good. And uh, yesterday, uh, it was my time to come up and preach, and I couldn't find my Bible. The first time in my whole preaching ministry that I lost my Bible. Where was it? Well, when I went back to put the... Uh, Lavalier on. I laid my Bible down and didn't think to pick it up. So a little boy brought it up to the front when I got up and told the whole church, this has never happened to me before, but I've lost my Bible. And they, someone found it for you. Yeah. No, well, that was at Lakeview Methodist Church. What did you say? Lavalier? Lavalier. Lava cake. Uh, whatever. But it is a little bitty <laughs> mic that hooks on your shirt. Okay. They don't use those in court? No. Well, you know what? I think they do. I've just I've just never used one. If you're using a if they're if they're doing a um like a presentation, mm -hmm. um and I I've I've quit doing that because I feel like people watch television, they do it mindlessly. Mm -hmm. So I don't want them to watch television. You see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. my theory is don't do that. But I lost my last trial, so maybe I need to do it again. Did you, like, act it out then, you know? Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. I just started to. Okay. I figured they did it like that before movies and whatnot and listened. In other words, that was what that was. That was Patrick Henry's speech. Did Patrick Henry have a television? I don't know. No. But I watch uh, Lincoln Lawyer. <laughs> and <laughs> Lincoln, Lincoln Lawyer. He got up and they, they went through this thing of how someone got murdered. You ever watch Lincoln Lawyer? No. He drives a Lincoln. That's why they call him Lincoln Lawyer. It's very interesting. Yeah. My kids play with My grandchildren play with Lincoln Logs. All right. So, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, anyway, we, we, while we were, I can't say killing time. We were filling time uh -huh. while you weren't here on, on the early church stuff that I've been getting from reading Gibbon and Glenn. And Glenn. Well, Glenn, too. Jim and Glenn have set me straight. Well, thank God. That's miraculous. But are we on air right now? We are. Hmm, okay. You didn't know? <laughs> <laughs> it's been going solid. I'm glad you didn't cuss. Um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is the topic for today now that we're finished with fillers? Uh, yeah. Well, one more filler. I feel like a preacher leaving his Bible is like a Marine leaving his rifle. <laughs> 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 My goodness. <laughs> There's a little bit of inside humor there. I, I used to condemn Jim saying this, that, that the Marines will steal each other equipment if it's left unattended. Okay. And I thought that was dirty. And he goes, no, that's teaching. That's the Marine Corps wants that because they want you to be, <laughs> don't you leave your weapon unattended. And so if you get it stolen, it's on you. And, and that's very Spartan. I was glad to find out they didn't do the little boys too, because Spartans did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is the weapons the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So so what did you preach on yesterday? Um it was good. Wait. Mm, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Glenn. Jim? No, 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 no. Go ahead, Chris. Yesterday I preached on um 
when you have trials and problems and storms, you can say, I can make it. Of course, you can say, I make it through Jesus Christ. I make it through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and where were you preaching yesterday? Uh, Lakeview Methodist Church in Minden, Louisiana. Oh, you're in Minden. Mm -hmm. I was mistaken on that. Okay. I, I, I thought that I thought it was down closer to Natchitoches. Okay. In Minden. All right. Mm -hmm. how, so, did, how many people were there? Oh, I don't know. I didn't count them. I'd say maybe 80. Okay. Mm hmm Okay, uh, because I, I, I've been curious how this is working out for the Methodists since they've broken away from the United Methodists. Well, you know, the way I understand it, and I didn't know this, not like this, they told me they had to buy their church again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're a small congregation, and so I think it really drained the barrel. Sure, sure. No, no, it's, it's the same thing going with Episcopal churches. You can get out of it. They can leave the Episcopal church. And, but they have to buy it, what they pay for already. And and I can understand one side of it. If the Episcopal or the Methodist a conference general uh, organization, if they laid out the money to begin with, and I can understand them demanding the congregation to buy it back. But I don't know for sure how they operated as far as the purchase of the property. Okay. I would like now, Jim. What we're we going to talk about today? You were supposed to introduce it. Now we're eighteen minutes into it, and I haven't let you introduce the topic yet. Are we only eighteen minutes in? We're only eighteen minutes in. Well, I'm only four minutes in. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the topic today, we're we're going to be dealing with primarily Genesis three sixteen, uh, but also Genesis three fifteen, and it's going to essentially be a theory on what the argument of Genesis is or what the overall narrative of Genesis is supposed to be and also how this is setting up the rest of the Bible. Now, before I get into it, I want to emphasize that this is my professor's theory. Uh, this is uh, David Klingler's theory, and it seems to go against the consensus of translation in today's Bibles, but the like, I don't know Hebrew at all. But the way that he was explaining the Hebrew and showing the structure of the Hebrew, it made sense to me. But again, I'm not going to be able to argue this if someone, if someone who knows Hebrew or knows how uh, theories of translation argues against me, I'm not going to really have anything to go up against them with. Uh, that would have to be Klingler's uh, position. Um, but Anyway, all that's to say is that in most Bibles today, if not all of them, in verse three, in chapter uh, three, verse sixteen, uh, God tells. Could you do me a favor? Could you read that in? Up? Could you read that in the King's English? No, I have an NIV, so unfortunately, I can't do that. Oh well, that's fine. Um, that's fair enough. I just want to know what it says. Yeah. So, so in verse, or so chapter three, verse sixteen, God tells Eve. I, this is the modern translation. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Okay, now that's an IV. Chris, do you have a different version? Uh, no, I didn't bring a Bible. Twice now. Yesterday, Man, you're leaving your rifle everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he never has his sword. He needs to get enough rifles. <laughs> Uh, another Marine stole my Bible. 
James then so that I can read it in the King's English. Uh, <laughs> that way, that way we can sort of compare translations here. I'm sorry. I absolutely love Shakespeare. Well, you know, that's not uh, actually uh, just listening to you read that. It's not uh, far off from King James because right. I, I well, was actually, remembering so, it. Yeah. So so this is the reason why I wanted to read King James is because um, this is the argument by Klingler. In the older translations, they translated it correctly. And this was before the critical period where scholars determined that Genesis was like other myths to where it was explaining uh, the reasons that people have uh, childbirth or the reasons that people died or things like that, that it was a simple mythology to tell people how the world came to be. And that's not it. Klingler's argument is that Genesis is a story that's setting up the rest of the Bible. And uh, he, he agrees with the former translations, such as the King James, which says this, God said, uh, or unto the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy, in thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. All right. So in, in both renditions, you do have uh, God speaking to the woman. Uh, about the, hold on. I think we lost Glenn. Okay. So in both renditions in the King James and, and the NIV, uh, the translators do have the God is speaking to Eve about conception. And both translations agree that her desire will be for her husband and the husband shall rule over her. Now, the argument that Klingler gives is twofold. First, concerning conception, he agrees with the King James uh, translation or the earlier translations that it is in sorrow that you will conceive. It's not talking about child pains. There's nothing in the Hebrew that's discussing child pains. It's discussing sorrow um, and that this sorrow will be played out through her seed uh, warring with each other. And the reason that they war with each other is because of the previous verse where you have Satan's seed or those who are deceived by Satan uh, who are at enmity with Eve's seed who will share in Eve's hope. And this is where Klingler's second argument comes in, that the desire for to be with her husband uh in the Hebrews, uh, her desire will be for Ish. Now, the interesting thing about Ish is that is the word that's used for uh, the bearing of sons. So she uh, conceived an Ish, Cain, uh, and then we'll also get that to <laughs> chapter 4, verse 1 as well. But she, she conceived an Ish, Abel. Uh, she conceived an Ish, Seth, uh, and, and so forth and so forth. And so... Her desire will be for, for her ish, and then the ish will rule over her. He says that that over is a translation forced upon the text, that the idea is that the her desire will be for her husband, he'll rule over her, is something that's not really there, but it's rule with. And where he gets this is the same word is used, I believe, whenever God tells Adam that he will uh, rule among the creatures, that it's it's not over, it's among. And uh, this is used elsewhere. Again, I'm really not 
necessarily uh, well acquainted with the word study. All I know is that uh, whenever he pulled it up on his slide, showed us the word study of this, you know, quote, ruled among versus ruled over, that it was pretty convincing, you know, given his side. And so anyway, what he's saying is that Eve, Eve's desire will be for her seed who will rule with her. And so she is looking forward to the one who will reestablish uh, her rule that was in the garden, which God intended for humanity from the beginning. Uh, until then, and even after then, the seed of the serpent uh, who, de- who, deceives, uh, who deceives Eve's seed and thereby makes them his seed is going to be an enmity or is going to be a war with Eve's seed. And so Eve's seed is the one who desires what Eve desires, which is the looking forward to a son who will reestablish their rule, whereas the serpent wants to deceive others to rule on behalf of the serpent. And this is the story that you're going to see play out through the rest of the Bible. And all the other books are going to pick up on what the Torah was essentially designed for. What It was to tell the Israelites, look, this is what happened. This is the problem. God gave you guys, God gave human beings rule. The rule, the human beings uh, were deceived by the serpent and they rebelled against God. Therefore, the human beings who rebelled against God were not allowed into the garden. They were taken away from the tree of life. And so therefore, uh, God has set in plan a, or set into motion a plan where through Eve, he's going to establish, uh, he's going to reestablish her rule uh, with the son that comes from her lineage. And, Throughout this uh, epic, you could say there's going to be war between those who follow the serpent and those who uh, maintain the same hope as Eve. And so, am I making sense so far? Rule over who? What I'm saying. What's that? Her rule. She's going to establish her rule again over who? Over over. Not over who is her? It's her dominion. Uh, is her? Is her rule in the garden? And so, where does Adam she, fit into this, into this? What's that? Or what is where is Adam's rule? Adam. So her desire will be for Eve, which is the seed who will reestablish her rule that Adam failed to maintain. So Adam's no longer the person who she looks forward to looks forward to be her savior. So so Catholic she's looking right. for someone else. She's looking for an Eve, someone who's coming later down the line, and. We, we see in hindsight that that's Jesus Christ. So what's Adam's, how does that affect Adam's life? Well, Adam's no longer the savior that he was supposed to be for Eve. He's no longer the perfect, the protector. So how does that affect my relationship with Charlotte? Well, we all have an East to look forward to. And so we all have a decision. You are my East? You're my savior? No, we all have an East. We all have the East to look forward to. <laughs> yes. So we, we could call it the East, and the East is Jesus Christ. Whew. That's yeah. And so and so again, like this is something that I'm not I'm not ready to argue in a, in a peer reviewed journal or anything. I'm just saying that this was the theory that was presented and it's compelling for several reasons. Uh, and I will, I'll say this. So, so the first reason is because um, in chapter four, verse one, when Eve gives birth to her first son, Cain, 
The English translation says Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man in Ish. Um, now, the Hebrew, it says, uh, I have brought forth an Ish. Uh, I believe that the Hebrew word is uh uh, I'm not even gonna try saying it, but let's just let's just make up a word. It's like odd, the Lord. So ad the Lord. Um, that is used uh, over and over and over again. Um, she also gave birth to his brother odd Abel, uh, and then she. Let's see, where is it that says Seth? But it's it's the same thing. Like she gave birth to uh, an east odd Seth. She gave birth to an east east ah. Uh, um, Enoch, you know, and so it goes on and on and on, odd, odd, odd. That's the um, that's the way that it's saying as far as giving them the names. Well, it's, it does the same thing here with Cain. So uh, the Hebrew would be, um, uh, I have brought forth the man, odd, the Lord. All right. Now, the idea, according to Kling, King Klingler, is the people who are translating this try to make sense of that, that I brought forth the man, the Lord. Like that's essentially how you would translate if you're going to translate it like all the other renditions for Seth or for Abel, Seth, Enoch, all of them down the line. And so the idea here is that uh, she brought forth an Ish, which the Lord had promised her. And so she said, the Lord, but this is the savior. This is the one, but Cain's obviously not the one. Instead, what we see is that, uh, after she gives birth to Abel, um, Abel's keeping the flocks, uh, which is a very significant point. And Cain is working the soil, which is what God told uh, Adam to do after they were expelled from the, God, from the garden. Why is Abel keeping the flocks? Well, it's because Cain's not in his cover. And if you remember, whenever Adam and Eve got expelled from the garden, God gave them animal skins for their cover. This was the first sacrifice uh, because God told them that they were going to die whenever they were expelled from the garden. And uh, this promise was true, but there was atonement for their sins. There was something else that could cover their sins, even though it wasn't going to, even though they were still going to die because they couldn't eat from the tree of life. And the thing that covered their sins was an animal sacrifice, and this animal skin was the covering for their death. And so Cain was supposed to be the covering for Abel's death, because that's what the ultimate East is going to do. Jesus Christ, he's not just going to cover our death or cover our sin, he's going to remove it. And so Eve here is thinking that Cain is that East that God has promised. However, whenever Cain's not that East, you have Abel who's keeping the flocks, who's keeping the sheep, because the animal sacrifice is the thing that's going to cover Abel's sin. Right. And Cain is covering himself. He's he's offering sacrifices from the soil, which also, if you recall, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they they tried covering themselves with fig leaves. But God considered this covering unworthy. He gave them something else. He gave them animal skins uh, to fully cover themselves. Well, Cain is offering to God what Adam and Eve used to cover themselves, which was fruit from the soil. And God considered this offering unworthy. Um, whereas uh, uh, that is, that's fantastic, Jim. Every bit of it. I really, I really like um, the way you walked through that. And I'd never seen any of that, but I can see it very clearly as you explain it. All right. Well, mm-hmm. I, I can I can say that I don't. And 
as you know, I'm not really crazy about William James' philosophy because he's got so much positivism, but he has one thing that I like. These people are talking about is what's reality. He goes, well, I don't know what it is, but if I drop a rock on my toe, it hurts. So that rock is real enough to me, whether it exists or not, right? So I like pragmatism, all right? Pragmatic, what does this mean to me? Well, what it means to you is we're trying to get you to a sense of where you are in this story. So, like, I think that it's unreasonable for us to immediately pull out an application here right now to practically apply to your life, other than I think you need to understand the uh, story of Genesis. That's pragmatically what I'm saying, um, that there that Genesis is not some uh, creation mythology that's disconnected, edited and without a unifying theme. It has a theme. And I think that the Hebrew makes it clear that uh, in sorrow, evil conceived sons and they will go forth and multiply the earth and the serpent will also uh, have his seed be multiplied. And after Genesis 3, you see that playing out immediately. And also, you see the in sorrow, you will uh, conceive sons playing out immediately with Cain murdering Abel. I, I uh, and so, why isn't this up? dualism? I, I see uh, a modern application. And you, you brought it to light again because you said the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So... Immediately, here's what came through my mind. I thought of uh, the seat of the serpent being the Democrats, the seat of the woman being the Republicans. (laughs) Communists and the non communists (laughs) I'm in. I'm in. All right. Um, What were you saying about dualism? That sounds like a dualism. What What do you mean? Yeah. Good and evil. Well, there is good and evil, but dualism is, um, if you're talking about dualism as a, as a religious philosophy, it's saying that creation itself is evil and the spiritual is good, which that's not what Christianity preaches. Hmm. That's what it sounds like, though, though to me. It, it doesn't to me. Where, is it, where does it sound like the creation is evil? Well, I mean, if, if, if Satan's seed is multiplying, to me, that's, the, that's dualism. That means it's two completely different seed lines. Yeah, but like, but you're using dualism in a different sense than uh, creation's evil and the spiritual's good. And so your dualism is like, no, no, nobody would recognize your dualism, but they're talking about dualism in like history as far as Gnosticism goes. It, it, it definitely would fit Zoroastrianism, though. Zoroastrianism, though, in Marxism. It, it could, but as far as like, because I don't know too much about Zoroastrianism, but as far as the Gnostic dualism goes, like, or I'm trying to think. Uh, Gnostics, the Gnostics are all over the place. That, our problem is with Gnosticism is that we're going to need to start defining which ones we're talking about because they yeah, are they, all. There was there there were several there were several unifying themes as far as like creation being evil and the spirit being good. They were unifying in that. It's just it was very disorganized. There, yes, there was a lot of disunity in there, but there were various organizing elements. Like as far as all of them were like knowledge leads to salvation. Uh, the spiritual is good and the earth is evil and that they're even um, All right, let me ask you this. We could, we, could, we, could, we could finish this. So there's okay. Satan has his seat. Can that seat mm-hmm. be saved? Say this again? Alright. If it's if Satan's seed maybe I misunderstood you, but it sounded like to me you were saying that there was going to be the ish. It was the seed yeah. that, 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 was the, that was where the saving is going to come from 
and then there's Satan's seed. And so there is this, this animosity, this friction between those two seeds. And what I want to know is, is it Zoroastrianism where that seed cannot be saved? It has to be wiped out. Or is that seed subject to salvation, which makes it not dualism, in my opinion? Well, we're not at that part of the story yet. And so that, I think that that would be the problem of trying to jump ahead. Because okay. um, in this scene, what we're seeing is, uh, forget about Zoroastrianism, what we're seeing is uh, that there's going to be Satan's seed and that there's going to be Eve's seed. And we see how this is immediately playing out with Cain and Abel. Um, and so we're not at the point as to whether this is going to lead to salvation. Now, uh, I think whatever you get later in the story, if you want to talk about Christianity as a whole, what we are going to see is that there are uh, times in your life where you could be the seed of Satan and then, or the seed of the serpent, because we don't know the Satan yet. What is the, the seed of the serpent? Give me an example. Seed of the serpent is someone who's deceived by the serpent to rule on his behalf, to make names for themselves. And so this is also something that you see in chapter four, where uh, as soon as Cain leaves, he builds a city and he makes the city for himself. And so you also have Cain's line. Um, who they do the opposite of what God intended. They take multiple lives and they avenge for themselves and they try making names for themselves. So Lamech, for example, who's not the Lamech of uh, chapter five, you have, you have Lamech and Enoch in chapter five and you have Lamech and Enoch in, uh, or sorry, Lamech and Enoch in chapter four and Lamech and Enoch in chapter five. These are the uh, antitypes to the Lamechs and Enochs of chapter five. And so, in chapter four, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other named Zilla. Um, and then you go down and Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilla, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain has avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And so this is the seed of the serpent, the person who makes a name for himself rather than making the name for the Lord, the person who marries multiple wives rather than marrying one and becoming one with her. The man who builds a city for himself and the man who rules on behalf of the serpent. Well, we're back to what what Chris said. We're talking about communist versus not. All right. So, so, <laughs> all right. So, so, you know, let's just without naming a communist, let's just say we know who they are out there right now. I don't want to bring in someone's name. They are evil. Right. And so that would be right now considered the seed of Satan, because they are definitely anti-Christian. They're anti, um, starting with Genesis. So they're, they're, they're completely against what Genesis teaches all the way through Revelation. Right? Right with me? That would be the seed of Satan, Jim? Am I, am I getting it right? I would say, yes, that would be the seed of Satan. Okay. I see why that's not dualism, then, because he could, Klaus Schwab could be saved. He could accept Christ today, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And in, in dualism, yes. in, well, in dualism, I understand, which is mainly Zoroastrianism. Ahmad cannot be saved. He's got to be yeah, extinguished. So, and so this is like, yeah, I would definitely say that. Well, I'm uh, sure, the I'm Bible, sure, by the way, I'm sure I butchered that name. But the Bible is not um, determinist. I know that you'll have okay. uh, Calvinists say otherwise, but there's a message of repentance throughout the entire scripture that uh, regardless of how much logical sense, which I don't even know how it makes sense logically. Like, I really am trying to get to that. I have to read the bondage, bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. That's beside the point. But logically, apparently, <laughs> Calvinism makes sense. But as far as the evidence goes throughout the scripture, 
you have a message of repentance over and over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament, give it to everyone. Give it to nations, give it to individual foreigners, give it to individual Israelites. It doesn't matter who, this message of repentance is given time and again. And so the seed of the serpent, it appears, can repent. Okay. Right. I can tell now by what you're saying, I'm really getting it now. The, the dualism that you're describing is not Zoroastrianism. However, Marcion did mess around with that. And I'm not an expert in dualism, but I have read enough of it to know that the only way that there is a, there's a battle between good and evil, and it has nothing to do with the salvation. It has something to do with victory. It has nothing to do with you accepting somebody or you doing, are you good? Are you with force of good? Are you with the force of evil? And one has to be extinguished and ultimately the good will be prevail. That's not what you're describing you're describing yeah. a dualism between human, uh, for between flesh and spirit. Is that right? Between flesh and spirit, not between flesh and spirit. Absolutely not. No, flesh and spirit. So we were talking about this lack of immortality of the soul that is um, not expressed in, or the immortality of the soul that's not expressed in Genesis yeah, for, or in all of Pentateuch. the book of Torah. Pentateuch. Hmm? In the Pentateuch. Right, yeah, yeah, all of, yeah, yeah, and all of the Torah. So it's not expressed in that. Whereas in all these other nations, um, whether that's the ancient Near East or in Greece or wherever, you, the immortality of the soul is expressed over and over again. And I think that the reason for this is because the Christian faith is somatically and earthly oriented. That creation and the body are not something to be dispensed with at the end times. There's something to be renewed. All of this is supposed to be renewed. And so part of me is thinking that's why the immortality of the soul is not expressed here is because because Genesis is arguing the opposite of flesh versus spirit. The flesh and the spirit or the flesh and the soul, to be more specific, are combined into one. Yes, but that's because it's not dualism. You know what? I'm still working through the famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it. Chapters 15 and 16 of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I'm crawling through it this time, trying to understand it. And I have not gotten far enough to discuss it yet. So we will not make the same mistake we made before talking about something I don't know. I really am asking for clarification. But I will say this, that what I got out of this is that I was hearing dualism, but I don't hear it at all with what you're saying now, because the seed of Satan basically is a, is a, a spiritual state, but not but you are not beyond salvation. And as long as you have that, I don't see dualism. So I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, also the elimination of Satan's seed does not require the elimination of each individual seed of Satan. Got it. So there will be Got one it. day where Satan's seed is entirely eliminated. Exactly. Exactly. But that's why I, I just got to say this. The first time I read Zoroastrian's work, Zoroaster's work, I couldn't make the distinction as to why Christianity would reject this because it sounds so good. Evil, you know, Satan is a good, he can imitate, right? And I was going like, yeah, we got to wipe out the evil. Well, then I realized, oh, it's because there's no salvation for that evil. There's no, that, that's not how the Bible works. The Bible works is that nobody, and that is important for anybody that's this podcast that has not accepted Christ. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how much of an instrument of Satan you've been. How much you've been his seed, you can be saved, right? Yes. And I and see Zoroaster did not believe that. That's the difference. It was just a matter of defeating it. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and, and think so, about that. We, 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 that is the whole idea of salvation by works is that you can defeat evil with works. And I don't think you can. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so getting back to this point about, uh, the story, what, what the story really is, is, uh, uh, something that's explaining to you what the conflict is for the Israelites who are about to go into the land of the Canaanites or about to go into the land of, uh, you know, all the, all the ites, Adamites, Moabites, Canaanites, whatever. Yeah. They're about to go take this land. And Moses is explaining to them through the text, like, this is what happened. And this is what your purpose is on here. You can either follow after the seed of the serpent and be deceived and rule on his behalf, which Israel does time and time again throughout the Old Testament. We see that. Or you can follow the seed or you could be the seed of Eve who looks forward to the East who will come and save you. And again, we see that playing out again where you see people rise up and they're clearly the seed of Eve who are looking forward to the East and people who are giving birth to firstborns are always trying to figure out if this is the East. And so an example of that is when Lamech <laughs> had given birth to Noah, Lamech thought that Noah was the East because he said um, he, he named him Noah because he will give us comfort. Um, what does it say? He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by uh, the ground, the Lord has curse. So this is referring back to uh, to God's. Uh, curse of the ground whenever he spoke to Adam in verses in chapter three, verses 17 through 19. So verses 17 through 19 says, curses is the ground because of you uh, through painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it, you were taken for dust uh, for, from it. You were taken for dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right. And so whenever Lamech names Noah Noah, uh, and what Noah means is comfort or rest, then he is he is thinking that this is the East who will rescue us from this uh painful toil and labor of the hands that uh are caused by the ground that is cursed by the Lord. In other words, this is going to be the East that brings back our rule to where we'll no longer have to uh work the cursed land. But Noah, of course, is not the East. But this is the this is the story that is repeated over and over again. You have Eve who's thinking Cain is these. You have Lamech who's thinking Noah is these. And then you'll have people who are thinking that their firstborns are these. Abraham wishes that Ishmael was the East, but uh, God tells him Ishmael's not the blessed promise. It's going to be Isaac. And so, like you'll just see this over and over and over and over and over again, playing all the way out. And the story makes sense if you look at it that way. Um, and so people are always looking forward to this one. And then finally, Jesus Christ comes and he ends up being the issue, establishes the new covenant, and brings salvation to all. But that's how the story is playing out until you get to the New Testament. Oh, well, there was a lot said in that little last sentence. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. so in the New Testament, what changes? Jesus. The East came. All right. So you are Doc, yeah. neither you nor Doc are East. We are not East. I mean, we are East, but we're not the East. Okay. And both of you can be each. I don't have to pick one of them. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. East, it just means son. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. It just means son. It can mean husband. It can mean man. It can mean son. But every time you see them bringing forth sons, you know, that's an East. How do you spell that? Uh, I don't know. 
Okay. Uh, I would say uh, ISH. Yeah, yeah, Eesh. I think so. Okay. But but that would that would be a that would be a transliteration. Oh, yeah. Okay, because it's a box with a little triangle with a dot on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> So anyway, I, th- I thought that that was a very interesting argument. It really all hinges on that interpretation of verse three sixteen. Uh, I, like I think that that's where it hinges. And as far as the Hebrew goes, it does seem like if you're going to read the Hebrew, it seems like God is telling Eve that she will look towards an ish. All right, people translate that to mean husband, but ish clearly means son. Like also, um, whenever you see the lineage that's happening in four, five, and six chapters, four, five, and six. And so immediately after God says, your desire will be for your east and he will rule over you. Um, again, rule over is a questionable translation as well. Then what you see in verses in, in chapters four, five, and six is the uh, conception of Eshes who are warring with each other, causing grief to their mothers. All right. So let me see if I can figure out the significance of this, because still it's, a, it's, it's very, very academic what you're talking about. But all right. So, so. What we've always, so I, we've gotten away from even the King James, is what you're saying, mm-hmm. and that, that the King James does not say that that pain is labor pain, that that labor pain right. enters into later translation. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. And, but that really what it's supposed to be saying is, is that it's the pain of her pain is trying to find the right ish. Is that the ish? Is that it? Or is it because her, her pain is from. Her seed warring with Satan's seed, and, or the serpent seed, and the the serpent seed is the one who deceived Eve's seed, and so in uh, uh, conception she'll through, have sorrow. Okay, in conception she'll have sorrow, but not because of labor pains, but because of what the pain of of having the two lineages war, war with each other. Okay, and what you're saying is is that it's become trivialized in a way, and it's supposed to be some. Uh, explanation of creation that this is not really trying to say that that that, bird, that that labor pains is not what it's talking about that that's not where labor pains began that this is really talking about the ultimate war or the ultimate conflict between the satanic way and Christian way. Yes. Okay, I got it. Mm-hmm. I feel and I, it's I see setting the, up the story for the rest of Scripture. I I have never really personally even as a, a young teenager, looked at Genesis as a history book, really. I looked at it as a spiritual guide. It was a guy saying, hey, this is what's going on here. Yes, there's history in it, but I didn't look at it as a history book. And I know you say it's the ultimate history book, and I'm not arguing that either. I don't think there's anything inaccurate in there. But I've never, I've never, I've always looked at it like, okay, just what he said, the first sacrifice was putting on those skins instead of leaves, fig leaves. And mm-hmm. and that that is what we're talking about. The spiritual warfare stepping on the serpent. I want to know what all that means. And that's what I thought Genesis was about. However, it does talk about Adam and Eve being created. So there is some history. Yeah, I'm not saying it's no history. The first verse says in the beginning, God created right. heaven and earth. But I, I'm, what I'm saying is that I've looked at it as a spiritual book, not as a history book. That's just kind of how I did it. But the history seems to match up. I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't. Does that make sense? Well, I, I do see it as a history book because of the way everything came down. They disobeyed God. Mm-hmm. They ate of the wrong tree. It's uh, it's historical narrative, and so there you go. The, 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 like, like, but that's. I'm trying to think of how to say this. Um, 
my thesis is historical narrative. I have a I have an argument that overlays the entire book. It's not um, I didn't just put together a bunch of uh, events that randomly happened and took place, and you figure it out for yourself. I had an overlying I, I, like I have an overarching argument that's connecting one chapter to the next to the next. Uh, and that's the way that Moses is writing in Genesis. Uh, he's these events are real; they took place. But he has an over he has an overarching argument. Like I'm not just leaving it here for you Israelites to guess what happened. Like this is what this is what happened, and this is the reason that it happened, and this is the reason that you're here uh, in the wilderness, and that that years in my generation is going to die off so that others get to go into this land. Uh, here's the reason, here's the background to all of this. And now it's after we're gone, it's time for you guys to go in there and do what the Lord faithfully told you to do. Um, dude, dude. so that's what, what's up? Well, no, go ahead. But that's the entire purpose of the Pentateuch or of the Torah. That's the entire purpose of it, is informing the Israelites what they're doing. All right, I get you. Land. I, I miss. I, I over. I overstated it. I was not saying that none of this. I'm not. I'm not denying all. It's all true. I want to make sure you know that. I. I, mm-hmm. I think it's all true, but uh, and I do think that's what I. I think that's what Gibbons was getting along, getting in, getting to, and the guy that was Hamill or whatever his name was that was that that has taken his footnotes and footnoted his footnotes is basically what he did. Um, he he makes that argument that that it was you know. He was he was stating history, but what I'm what I'm what I'm still trying to make sure I get though. All right, man, maybe it has slipped into my thinking that I was thinking that the punishment to Eve for her sin was that child labor would be painful, and that's what Klangler is kind of trying to change that viewpoint to say that's not what it's saying. It's saying so. So, in other words, y'all are saying that the the painful part is the two boys and the conflict that they had uh, ripped her heart out. We we could say, yeah, it caused it caused sorrow. Yeah. Sorrow. Okay. That yeah, that's new to me. So so what Jim is saying is definitely, even though I never really took it as yeah, I, I thought that's what it was saying, but it makes more sense to see. Well, yeah, it's it's going mama's going to have sorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so and so as soon as you like for me, that was something that was really eye opening. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this class. And I know academically I would not necessarily be able to argue against someone who says the contrary, like, no, this means childbearing or no, this definitely means your husband that he will rule over you. Um, but and, and people people are in disagreement about uh, verse uh, chapter four, verse one. Where she says, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth the man, uh, Cain. Or I brought forth the man. With the help of the Lord, I, I brought forth the man. All right. So, again, uh, Klingler says that should be translated as, I have brought forth the man, the Lord. Meaning that Eve thought that this was the East that was going to reestablish her rule. And people, like as far as uh, academics who try to translate this verse, they are in disagreement as far as what that verse means. Because it certainly seems like. She is calling this man the Lord. Um, this the cane that she gave birth to the Lord. I, 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 I get else. it. She's been, she was told. Think about this. She was told that your seed, that, that the seed was going to be, you know, and, and you know, there was that. Am I getting it right? She she was told yeah. that that seed was going to be the salvation. She didn't realize it was going to be generation after generation. 
The Jews have been missing that. Apparently, according to Gibbon, they've been missing it all along. They keep thinking everything's tomorrow. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he, so, listen, he, he gets a bad rap. He's got this right. A lot of this stuff right. Yeah. Well, I'm not necessarily sure. Like, so, uh, um, I, I think one of the things that makes Gibbon an easy target is also he's dated. He's dead. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, he's dead. He's dated. Um, and yeah, I mean, you write a big history like that, you're just inevitably going to get some things wrong. But you need people to write big histories like that to synthesize history. I right. Think you that get a big picture. Needs to happen. Um, and so you need a big picture of history. And that's essentially what the Bible is anyway. Um, and so what you have, I think, I think that what you have here is the, if, if you don't read 316 the way that Klingler says to read that, then in chapter 4, verse 1, you're going to have confusion because you're going to be like, why is she calling this son the Lord? This doesn't make sense. But if you see that I chapter get it, 3, yeah. verse 16 says Ish, that she will, her desire will be for Ish, and that Ish means son, and that the son will rule with you. Then now all of a sudden that makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. she thinks that this son is going to be the savior. You finally poof, you finally penetrated my my brain. I get it. My my thick skull. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And, 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 and think about this. Think about this. If if you or Doc would have killed one, you know, you Doc would have killed you. The pain that would create to Charlotte. The pain. Correct. It would be horrible. Yeah. Worse than pain. Childbearing is nothing compared to that pain. That's true. Right. Yeah. And so and so. Not only that, but you also have Cain who's driven away. Like he, yeah. like now Eve is sunless. She's useless. So she's now without hope. Where's her Where's her hope going to be? Yeah. And so, um, anyway. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Mm-hmm. It took yeah. you a while, but it's, you got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while. But again, like this is a new idea for me. I can't wait to play it out because I am the, the end of the semester. I'm going to be writing an argument of Genesis paper, but it's primarily probably going to be uh what Klinger's argument is because you know i don't know hebrew that well and i'm just going to have to take it for what it's worth but uh it, it actually gives me something to look forward to to learn hebrew because uh, it got me excited like i never really understood how genesis set up the whole story for israel like i couldn't i couldn't really make that connection until now and what you'll see play out from three i think it's chapter three to 14 or 15 what you'll see play out is this promise or this uh what what god's uh statement to eve says is that your desire will be for your east that transfers from eve to her seed which becomes the nation of israel got it got it yeah and so and israel then becomes the seed of eve who's looking forward to the east now that i know what i'm looking for do you still have 316 in the king's english and the king, yes. <laughs> One second. All right. I like that. The king's English. Uh, let's see. It's the old Bible that mom gave me for our wedding. Friendly's my wedding. Uh, these pages are very thin. All right. It says, uh, One second. Wow, the pages are super thin. Very aggravating. Um, okay. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. And thy conception, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy shall, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Um, again, I think that the translation of thy, uh, thy desire shall be to thy husband, it's to thy ish. Yeah. And so uh, uh, the ish is the actual Hebrew there, can mean husband. 
child, whatever. And what you see immediately after that is the conception of each, 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 um, happening from chapter four to chapter six. So Jim, the only thing, you know, that, that I, I'm thinking ahead, I guess, which can be dangerous, but, um, the second birth is what is radically important as far as eternity is concerned. But the way that this plays out, the second born is the one that's killed by the firstborn. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're born of the flesh, and there is an age of accountability, and we need to have the second birth. And the second birth is what uh, brings you back, brings you into the family of God. So I, I don't, maybe none of this uh, is in harmony with what I just stated, but I just decided I wanted to bring it up to see what you would say. Well, I think that what's happening in chapter four is Eve gives birth to the to Cain, and she says, this is the this is the Lord. Mm-hmm. Then what you see uh, immediately after Abel is born is that uh, Abel is having to tend flock. Because Cain is not his covering. Cain was supposed to be his covering, but he's not. And so Cain instead is offering things to the Lord that the Lord already told Adam and Eve in the garden that weren't good enough, which is the fruit of the land. And so Abel, on the other hand, is offering to God the fat of the lamb and the, and is offering sacrifices in that way. And the lamb's coverings, the wool, are sufficient to cover uh, Abel's sin, um, even though he can't eat from the fruit of life or from the uh, fruit of the tree of life. And so anyway, uh, what happens is that Cain ends up killing Abel. So Cain is actually the anti-type of the Eve that Eve's looking forward to. He's the Eve thought he was, and Cain ends up being the exact opposite of it. Yeah. And so the, and so, the second birth, which, which, uh, you know, in, in ways, there's uh, Christ-like things about him because he's taking care of a flock. And we we today are, are the flock of God if we're born again. I mean, is any of this making sense? Can you see how? Yeah, it could, because I see that you're making a connection with the first birth and second birth. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to, I, I would have to think about that one in my head. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever made that connection in the Bible uh-huh. um, as far as like any of the apostles did. Yeah. Maybe they did. But, um, yeah, the, the way that I see it is that it's almost like irony that uh, Abe said that this was the one and then he ends up being the exact opposite of the one. In fact, he ends up being the seed of the serpent. I wouldn't say that your first that your first birth automatically makes you the seed of the serpent. Well, we are therefore have to have a second. Birth. We are born into sin and yeah. the second birth takes us into the mercy and grace of God. Salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is truth to that. Yes, I, I will say that there is truth to that, and maybe that argument can be made, and maybe that should be made. We 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 owe Glenn some time. He gets he he's he's the he is the George Harrison of this podcast. We've got to give him a few minutes. Well, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, going through all this ish. Uh, uh, <laughs> Here's what is interesting about this whole conversation. How we normally interpret that part of scripture in Genesis about childbirth is all about the pain of childbirth. But what I think we've decided today is there's a good argument 
for not, that's not what it is, but it was the desire for the Christ, the Messiah, uh, that everyone started looking for in the firstborn, and that everyone was looking for Jesus, and that was what they were really desiring and seeking, and the pain is, the pain of childbirth is what your children do later, if it's not godly, not correct, uh, that you have a pain in your heart, and it's hard. It's about being heartbroken. So anyway, that's uh, what I think we've been talking about, which is an interesting topic and something I had never considered before. There we go. Yes, uh, it was good, Jim. I learned a lot today. Yes. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure what time you got to break away. It's probably soon. Um, <clears throat> but um, I, I did. I got it. It took a while for it to get into my brain, and and I, I'm going to tell you this. I'm encouraged to stay in chapters 15 and 16 of Gibbons until I absolutely understand it. And Jim can explain it when I don't get it because he has seminary help that I don't have. But um, I, I, well, no, just you, it really, truly, when you try to read this cold, when you try to read those, those footnotes cold, you really sometimes don't know what that theologian that's commenting knows. And I went back and started reading that, um, you know, Sarah gave Charlotte a, a book on the early church, the early church fathers. I, it was like reading something brand new, like I didn't know any of this, even though I read about his Ignatius. Is that his name? It was a way to actually read what he says. You know, if, if you, but if you just hear about it, you just, it just passes over your mind. You don't think anything of it. Well. I've, I've been passing over this verse all these years. Okay. This causes her to hurt when she has a baby. Let me ask you this. Is there any animal that has that 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 actually births? I'm not talking about it, but even eggs hurt the ch- chicken. Does, do, do, they, uh, do all females hurt when they have babies? I've never, I've never asked one. <laughs> Sometimes they run into some trouble. Would you, Glenn? Do you know what Glenn's an expert on? What? Where lizards go to die? Really? Well, that's good. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I just ask Brock. Anyway, where lizards go to die, and it tells me. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Jim, that is extremely. Uh, I think it's. I think it's makes sense. Uh, yes, hey, it does. It's yeah, fascinating. And before I go, I like. I really think that this is a helpful podcast. Uh, it's called Teach Me the Bible. I know that they're a competitor, but the <laughs> Teach Me the Bible podcast um, is hosted by uh, David Klingler and um, the other. Uh, I, I don't remember what the other guy's name is. Well, apologies. But anyway, it's a really good podcast because he's essentially giving you the same lecture that uh, we're giving in class. The only difference is that we're face-to-face and we can ask questions at will and things like that. Um, but he, he gives a good detailed uh, exposition of Genesis that I can't give here. And it is, it is really awesome. And it, you know, from an amateur perspective, it's, it's very compelling. Well, and I want to make a commercial that uh, 1030 in Minden this next Sunday, I'll be speaking again at, uh, um, what did I call the name of the Methodist Church? Right Lakeview Methodist Church at 1030. And I'm going to be speaking on prayer that will revolutionize your spiritual life if you attend at 1030 
can hear me preach. Believe it or not. Lakeview Methodist Church. Believe it or not, I plan on going. Wonderful. I'll give you my reasons, and I'm hoping I can get Glenn to come over and meet us. That would be wonderful. If we could just I mean, get Jim there, then no, we could yeah. introduce the whole bunch. <laughs> now, I do want to make a point of clarification, because a lot of the people on this podcast are going to be like me. I thought when he said playing word, he was talking about that guy dressed like a woman on MASH. This is definitely not him, right? <laughs> Definitely not. Be, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Klinger. <laughs> anyway, no, I, what's the name of that podcast? Uh, Mr. Uh, Professor Klinger? You call him Professor? Is that what you call him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Klinger. Dr. Um, Klinger. But, uh, Wait, what's the name of the podcast again? Uh, it's Teach Me the Bible. Okay. I, I, I think that I will today, at lunchtime, listen to that. Yeah. He gives about 30 minute segments of each uh, chapter. Um, but he does every time he's about to go through a chapter, he does an overview of where they've been so far. And so if you want to really look at what we talked about today, you can start at chapter three, but you could also do whatever you want. You can start chapter one and go through it. So 30 minutes, seconds. It's interesting. You know, Jim, here's the thing I'm going to say. You got to go. We are, we can go too. Um, I got to say this, that when you get into something, you really get into it. And I just hope that you never start studying axe murders. Yeah, that's something for Sarah. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> well, thank you, Jim. Uh, and and I don't know if you want to stick around, but Glenn's got to tell us how this podcast was so good today. What 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 made it good? Well, we know it. Did anybody have? Did you have any coffee this morning? Did you? Yes, I did. Okay. Well, Glenn, this yeah. you know, let's just do a straight up plug. What's the best okay, coffee you can get? If you really want this to all stick in, if you want to get the focus you need to really study these things and to listen to the uh, Teach Me the Bible podcast or this wonderful podcast, uh, The James Perspective, you'll get a hold of some PJ's coffee from Hot and TJ's in Houghton, Louisiana, where you can get delicious breakfast pastries. Lunch sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches, and of course, all natural wind bowl with busted teas <laughs> and any type of wonderful coffee drink you would desire. All right. Now, this is my last question of the day. I saw that, that um, our competitor got $250 million from Spotify, a podcaster. I want to know when, when we get our $250 million podcast money, how are we supposed to split this? Well, we each get the same amount. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you jim thank you guys appreciate you we'll be back tomorrow with what tomorrow will be thursday with technology all right <laughs> thank you guys bye-bye all right bye-bye. see ya.